Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Again, friends, and welcome on into episode 167 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, checking in on today, Monday, January 25th, 2021. Hope you're all doing well. Had a great Sunday of AFC and NFC Championship games. We will get to that in the second segment of the show. We do have a loaded show for you today. We're going to talk, obviously, AFC, AFC. AFC NFC Championship games. We're going to give a quick preview of Super Bowl 55. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk Senior Bowl because it is Senior Bowl week, and I'm going to have some players that I'm going to be watching, some recommendations for you to keep an eye on as the excitement down in Mobile unfolds. But before we dive into any of that, we have two orders of business Matthew Stafford and our usual cavalcade of announcements. As always, Follow along with the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Check out the work. Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio. Not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, right here at Pat's Pulpit. And of course, Touchdown Wire, part of the USA Today Touchdown Wire Network. You can check out the work. Myself, Barry Warner, Doug Farrar do all week long. But we do begin with Matthew Stafford because, as you're probably aware by now, it came out Saturday afternoon that both Stafford and the Detroit Lions have mutually agreed to part ways. Now, reading in between the lines, my guess is, and this is a bit of an educated guess, the team and Stafford got together. Stafford inquired about what the team's plans were going forward. The organization said, look, we're probably going to be drafting a quarterback. Uh, would you like to be around to help mentor that player for a year or two? And Stafford said, Thanks, but I th- I think I'd like to go win some games. I don't want to be a mentor. I want to be a winner. And I un- completely understand that. And so obviously anytime a quarterback, anytime a player really, but anytime a, a quarterback right now potentially becomes available, we have to talk about would this work for the New England Patriots? And similar to the discussion I had about Deshaun Watson, as we've done over the past couple of weeks with Watson's rumors, the list of teams that should inquire about Matthew Stafford is pretty extensive. Say what you want about Stafford from a win and loss standpoint. If you are a proponent of QB wins, he might not be the guy you're excited about. But in terms of talent, in terms of traits, in terms of what I look for at the position, Matthew Stafford checks a lot of boxes. And I have said for a long time, dating back a couple of summers, I was on a show with Matt Waldman. We were doing our RSP quick kicks, which there will be another one later this week. We talked about 
players that would fit in New England and quarterbacks that I would like to see take over for Tom Brady. And the first name on my list was Matthew Stafford. And that was a couple of summers ago. And nothing that I have seen from Stafford over the past two seasons has changed that. Matter of fact, roughly around the time you listen to this show, I will have a special installment of Schofield's QB camp over at Touchdown Wire sharing some of the video work I've done on Stafford this year. And you can go through those videos. You can go through those breakdowns. And you will see a lot of what matters at the quarterback position. Things that don't matter, like no-look throws, he does that too. But manipulation, leadership, toughness, competitive toughness, he checks all of those boxes. Now, what makes this interesting is looking at Stafford from a contractual standpoint. The 2021 season is, under the terms of his current contract, the most expensive. It's a cap number of $33 million. But that really winds down over the next couple of years. In 2022, it's 26. In 2023, it's just a cap number of $3 million. All he has under the terms of his current deal with respect to a prorated bonus of $3 million. That's it. And just the upfront question about whether Stafford could fit in New England, cap number of $33 million. Right now, according to Over the Cap, Patriots have around $57 million in cap space. And that's before any potential moves such as Stephon Gilmore, Julian Edelman, maybe a you know, a Jonathan Jones or a Devin McCourty restructure. You know, there are things that they could do to free up a little bit of space. Marcus Cannon, he's got a cap number of about $9 million for 2021. You know, and if they decide to sort of, hypothetically speaking, using the handy over-the-cap calculator, you look at that number for Marcus Cannon, what could they potentially do there? They could save themselves some money. Marcus Cannon, a cut or a trade, either way, saves you $7 million. And so they don't need to make moves to get Stafford in under the current cap. But if you look at some potential moves that might be in the works anyway, yeah, those things might probably happen to free up even more space. And so if your fear is, look, the Patriots have a ton of cap space going into the season, you know, draft a rookie quarterback, build around them, you know, don't waste all of the cap space on Matthew Stafford. That's probably a bit of an overstatement. They're not going to waste all of their cap space if they sign Matthew Stafford. Now, is Stafford... Worth signing, in my mind, absolutely, as I told you. For my money, he's one of the elite talents at the position. He's somebody I've wanted to see in New England for a long time. And getting him into this offense, even as it's currently constructed, makes it a better offense. Certainly makes it a better passing offense than what we saw in 2020. Now, the run game elements, that's a different story. Obviously, you're not going to sign Matthew Stafford or trade for Matthew Stafford to run QB power. But he improves your passing game and this is a passing league. 
in terms of his fit into this offense, Stafford can run any offense under the sun. He's been in more vertical systems. He's been in more horizontal systems. He's been in more, you know, Aaron Perkins systems. In the terminology, yeah, there will be a learning curve, but he can do it. I'm not worried about Stafford from a mental standpoint, particularly when you watch some of those videos that I've put together on him, the manipulation that matters, not just looking a guy off who's not going to make a play along the sideline, like moving defenders underneath, moving defenders between the hash marks, between the numbers. He can do that. And so I'm all in on the fit. I'm all in on the price. The tricky part with the price is going to be this. As you might expect, given what I've said about him, given some of my recent work and recent work all over the football media spectrum, there will be no shortage of suitors. And I can identify off the top of my head a number of teams where he would make sense. Indianapolis, Denver, Houston, if there's a potential Watson move, Washington. And perhaps the best fit for him would be San Francisco. And I think from Stafford's standpoint, that might be where he wants to go. Why? We've seen what Kyle Shanahan's offense can do for quarterbacks, for mid-tier quarterbacks. And Ted went over at The Athletic, had a great piece on that sort of McVay-Shanahan school of thought, boot action, outside zone, all of that stuff, and how it works to prop up maybe mid-tier quarterbacks like a Goff, like a Mayfield. But you really unlock the potential of that offense when you drop it into the hands of an elite talent like you saw last year with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. And Matthew Stafford saw that twice. So Matthew Stafford is probably thinking, look, if that's what's happened with Aaron Rodgers, I wonder what a system like that could do for me. And so looking at it from sort of an outsider objective position, if I'm Matthew Stafford and I get a chance to go play for Kyle Shanahan, great. You know, that's a team that's two years removed from a Super Bowl. And the main thing that held them back this year was probably a a two-pronged impact of injuries and poor quarterback play. Well, you can fix one of those, and you can put yourself in an offense that's going to help you. But if I'm Bill Belichick, I am certainly on the phone right now with the new staff in front office in Detroit saying, what will it take? Because sitting at 15, you might not get a guy that's ready to start week one. And then you're looking at the Stidhams, Brennan Newton back. If you get Matthew Stafford, who you can fit, it's certainly worth 15 and whatever else you might need to pay. Now the Patriots don't have a ton of draft capital. They lost their third rounder, remember. But it's certainly worth kicking the tires on this one. Because Matthew Stafford, I think, makes you even... If you don't make any other moves in the passing game, Matthew Stafford makes you a better passing offense, and this is a passing league. And so, do they take a swing on Stafford? I certainly hope so. It would be disappointing if they don't, but yeah. Sometimes life disappoints you. Up next, we're going to recap Sunday's action, and a little bit later, third segment of the show, we're going to dive into Senior Bowl week. Players I'm watching on both sides of the ball, Plus a plan for Senior Bowl Week itself. That's ahead here in episode 167 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 167 of the Sco Show. And look, we opened the show talking about Matthew Stafford. In the third segment of the show, we're going to talk about the Senior Bowl. Both of those discussions are about the future, but it's time to talk about the present because we have a Super Bowl. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are going to be the first team in NFL history to, in essence, host a Super Bowl. And they will be hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. And we're going to talk briefly about these two games in a bit, just briefly because... But I don't want to dwell on the games themselves too much because there are a ton of storylines that we have to look forward to in Super Bowl 55. Briefly on the first game, Brady throws three picks. You're not going to get a chance. At least you usually don't get a chance to still win a game when you throw three picks. Brady looked like he was falling apart. Three interceptions, three straight drives. It looked like that game was spinning out of control. But they managed to get it done. They managed to survive. Partly because, and I wrote this over at USA Today, I do feel like that game was won in a 30-minute stretch of real time from the end of the first half to the start of the second, right? You had the inexplicable defensive breakdown from Green Bay where they go sort of single high. They're playing with inside leverage when Tampa Bay has no timeouts and eight seconds left. Like, you got to force them to the middle of the field. you got to keep everything in front of you. You can't let them get a shot play towards the sidelines and over the top of your head in that moment. You just can't do it. But that's what happened. Tampa Bay gets an 11-point lead going into the break. But okay, you're Green Bay. you got a chance. You get the ball. You can go right downfield and score. It'll be a one-score game back before you know it. Instead, the Jones fumble, the big hit from Whitehead, Devin White recovers. Next play, touchdown, 18-point lead. And yes, Green Bay fought back. And yes, they made it a one-score game. And yes, they had a chance to win this thing. But they had to fight uphill from 18 points down. That game really swung in that moment. And of course, there is the decision by Matt LaFleur to kick the field goal. And that has opened up just a ton of questions about why LaFleur kicked it what was happening, what he was thinking. And now you got Roger's speculation. He's out there saying, I thought we were going to have another chance to do it, why he didn't run it in. You're seeing photoshops of Rogers and Patriots uniforms on the timeline. That's going to be a storyline. But Tom Brady, the Buccaneers, they get to play a home game in the Super Bowl. And they get to play Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes and company, they go down early. Great redemption story. McCall Hardman. He has the early fumble, but then he catches the touchdown, then he gets the 50-yard run, and they just pour it on you, 21 unanswered points. And I think the biggest takeaway from that game was this. Myself, Doug Farrar, anybody else, we were all wondering, how is Kansas City going to sort of match up with that Buffalo Bills offense? Josh Allen, it's gotten so much better against zone coverage. 
you know, that's what they did last year. I mean, early in the season, they played zone coverage. Um, the opportunities when they had man, it didn't quite work. Allen missed on opportunities downfield. But you don't want to play man coverage against Josh Allen, 25 touchdowns, two interceptions this year. Against man coverage, you can't play man coverage. They played man coverage, and they locked those guys down. And even beyond that, one of the reasons you probably don't want to play man coverage against Josh Allen is what he can do with his legs to beat you. Well, they managed to play man coverage and sort of keep him in the pocket while doing so while they were adding on these points and bunches. And so, tremendous credit to Steve Spagnuolo and that Chiefs secondary. I thought that Chiefs secondary had a huge game. Uh, the Bills will be back. I think the Bills will be back. Um, but now we get the Super Bowl that maybe a lot of people wanted, perhaps. We get Brady Mahomes 4. You know, they've met three times before. I mean, actually, it's Brady Mahomes 5. Because they've met four times before, three when Brady was in New England, and obviously once this year they met in the regular season, and that was a three score, a three point game. Every time these two quarterbacks have faced off, it's been a one score game. I wrote a piece over at USA Today that went live after the game about the top early storylines for Super Bowl Fifty Five. That's certainly one. Brady's chase for a seventh reign is certainly another. Mahomes and company going back-to-back. How do you handle this Chiefs offense? How do you handle this Tampa Bay offense? This is a Tampa Bay offense that, since their bye week, when they were left for dead by everybody, yours truly included, they've done nothing but win. And that offense has looked great. The game that they lost before their bye week, Kansas City. When Tyreek Hill had like 200 yards receiving in the first quarter, the Buccaneers scored 14 points in the fourth quarter and lost by three. So no shortage of storylines. But I think, look, for me, the ultimate storyline is this. What is this Super Bowl going to be like? If you think back to Super Bowl 54, right? COVID-19 was kind of something that was just kind of being talked about here. It was more of a... It's happening overseas, it's not happening here kind of thing, even though some of the first confirmed cases were here in the United States. And in fact, there's been some anecdotal studies that the San Francisco sort of celebration after making it to the Super Bowl was perhaps a contributing factor to why COVID sort of exploded in that area of the country early. But in Super Bowl 54, it was still something that seemed far away, seemed more of a possibility, not something we were living through. Now we're living through it. You know, what's the Super Bowl buildup going to be like? We're not going to get this huge, you know, Super Bowl media night over Zoom. It's just going to look and feel different. What are the ads going to be like? You know, how is the world that we're living in going to be reflected in this event. The Super Bowl is not just a football game. It's a worldwide cultural event. The ads that air during the game often reflect the national mood, the global mood. How is that going to be reflected? And I know this is a football podcast, and I know that, you know, you're not coming here to hear me opine about COVID and things like that, but we've got two weeks of buildup to look ahead to this. 
And now we have so many storylines to work through. And the two weeks into the Super Bowl often leads to even more storylines being created. So it's going to be fun. Um, I'll cover it somewhat. Obviously, there's a Tom Brady angle here to cover. Um, but we got a Patriots team to talk about. We got a future roster to build and talk about. And so that's going to lead us to the Senior Bowl. And so that's where we go next here in episode 167 of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 167 of the Sco Show. And so Super Bowl 55 is set, but you've got 30 other teams that are already thinking about how they can get to Super Bowl 56. And that process begins in earnest this week with the Reese's Senior Bowl down in Mobile. Now, unfortunately, I won't be able to get there. First time in six years, I won't be down at the Senior Bowl and I'm going to miss Veets. I'm going to miss Winsels. I'm going to miss Dolphins. I'm going to miss seeing so many great people. Um, but unfortunately, life in 2020 and 2021 precludes it. But I am still credentialed to cover this event, albeit virtually. I don't know yet exactly how that is going to look. I've been told we'll have access to all the practice film and all that good stuff. So the plan for this week is to still do some Senior Bowl recap shows. If not every day, then perhaps every other day, um, depending on how the film process works out. But that is sort of up in the air. You know, in years past when I could just literally drive back to the hotel from the practice field, open up my notebook and start regurgitating the notes that I had written down from watching the practices live. That's one thing. But if I have to wait for film to get uploaded and it doesn't get uploaded until late at night, you might not get shows every day. So the schedule for this week is a bit in flux. But what's not in flux is you've got a great group of talent going down to Mobile. Um, It's a shame I'm not going to be able to get down there because this is a great group. And I did want to sort of quickly shout out some guys on both sides of the ball that I'm very curious to see how they do. Um, And you can sort of view most of these, I'd say, through a Patriots lens, particularly on offense, all of the quarterbacks. But two really stand out to me in terms of a New England potential fit. Maybe three. Um, but these are both sort of generic players I'm excited to see and guys that you might want to keep in mind for a Patriots tie. Now, this is not by any means an exhaustive list. Um, there's dozens upon dozens of players that are going to be down there. I can't spend five minutes talking about them all, um, but we'll just sort of dive in. On offense, beyond just the generic, I'm going to be watching every quarterback closely. Jamie Newman from Wake slash Georgia. Mac Jones, Kyle Trask. Those are the three of the guys that are down there that sort of intrigue me the most. Obviously, a lot of people have made the Mac Jones connection. If he's there at 15, I could see the fit. I could understand it. I'm excited to see Newman after the year off. I'm excited to see Kyle Trask being asked to perhaps do more. Maybe if you could see a little bit of athleticism from him, that would be nice. I don't think the Patriots will be in on a running back per se, but one I am very intrigued by is Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma. Matt Waldman has been talking him up to me for a while now. I finally got a chance to watch him a little bit. I mean, you could be talking about a potential James White 2.0. And so I think it's worth keeping an eye on him. He handles pass protection responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think you want to watch this kid. Same thing with Michael Carter from USC, UNC. Another explosive kid. Can be a threat in the passing game. They can flex him out, use him in vertical routes. Very intrigued to see how he's used out in Mobile. Um, could be an eye towards 
one of your, again, James White 2.0 type of players. Very versatile type of player. Wide receivers, Devonta Smith, he's not going to be doing anything. doesn't matter. Don't worry about him. He's not going to be there at 15 or anywhere close to it. But Kadarius Toney might. That guy's a human joystick, the kid from Florida. Very excited to see his change of direction skills. I guess not in person, but at least in focus. Another receiver, Patriots have already gotten slot receiver figured out. They typically do a good job at figuring out the slot receiver position, right? But a guy that I think fits that bill for a lot of NFL teams, Cade Johnson from South Dakota State. Explosive kid, good return skills. Keep an eye on him. Another position that might, you know, entice some people, tight end. Hunter Lawn from BC. It's it's a weird group at the tight end position this year, but Hunter Lawn makes the most sense to me. And when you start thinking offensive line, a kid to watch, Quinn Minerts from University of Wisconsin Whitewater, Division three kid. I've talked to people, Owen Reese, who coached him. Owen gave me a quote about this kid. He is the most physically dominant small school player in the country, and a violent blocker who will look to continue his success against higher-level competition. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, I do think the Patriots will probably want to look at the guys up front. I think a name to watch would be Marvin Wilson. He sort of fits like the Patriots mold, right? A guy that most people, before last year started, before this season started, thought Marvin Wilson was like, if not defensive player number one, at least defensive lineman one. Now you're seeing with an injury and some subpar production, him slipping, that screams Belichick value pick to me. So I'm very curious to see how he looks down in Mobile. There's a tremendous edge class going to this year's Senior Bowl. Turon Jackson from Coastal Carolina, Shaka Tony from Penn State, Jonathan Cooper from Ohio State, Rashad Weaver from Pittsburgh. Those are also some guys that are really intriguing to me in particular weaver another guy coming off of an injury medical checks are going to be an issue you know because he had a torn acl caused him to miss the entire 2019 season but he could be impressive hamilcar rashid jr the edge from oregon state who also apparently played nicked up last year didn't match anywhere close to the production he put on film for the in the 2019 season but might be another kind of value pick Jabril Cox, that North Dakota State slash LSU linebacker, a bright spot for that LSU defense last year, had a pick six in their first game. Tough Borland from Ohio State, one of three Ohio State linebackers that are going to be at this game. Everybody's last image of him is him being asked to carry Devonta Smith on a vertical route in the national championship game. That's not what you want to have him doing. But in the typical Patriots, what can a guy do? He might find a role in the National Football League and something about him screams Belichick to me. Not that they go corner, Robert Rochelle from Central Arkansas and Brian Mills from North Carolina Central, two small school corners. Patriots have had some success with small school corners before. Watch those kids. And the other thing to think about beyond just players to watch is this. Senior Bowl is huge this year. No combine. No sort of centralized opportunity for teams to get information on players. 
no personal workouts. It's all pro day stuff. This is your one and only shot, really, of a pro of a pre-draft premier showcase event. Senior Bowl is going to be massive for a lot of players this season. And I will try to do whatever I can to cover it from home. Um, we will see this week uh, what the film situation looks like. If they get it out on time and rhythm, like a good out route, I will have you shows as much as I can, but expect at least a show or two as this week unfolds, diving into what's happening down in Mobile. So we covered a lot today. Matthew Stafford, AFC, NFC Championship Games, quick Super Bowl preview, players to watch in Mobile. I'm going to go pour myself an adult beverage. Until next time, friends, stay safe. Check in on your loved ones. Wash those hands. And when you do, sit along and bless those Patriots reigns down in Falkenberg.